Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Please hang up and try again. night kayak fishing radio buzzards row and once again you're going to uh host here sean uh chip and greg are out this evening chip is uh down unfortunately with a pretty bad migraine unable to make the show but um we've got uh, sean and jim here and and matt is that you dialing in that's me i'm up here oh awesome awesome so we're going to try to make the best of it with the three of us here. How are you guys doing this evening? Hey, good evening, Sean. Doing, Jim? Doing great, Sean. Doing great, Sean. I've got rain falling on my side right now, so I don't have to water. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It's been raining nonstop every afternoon down here in South Florida. So it's a good thing I've got kayaks to get back and forth to the store. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't seen rain up here in Jersey in a couple of days. It's been nice, uh, nice and cool weather um, for a change. And uh, eh, it looks like it's going to rain this weekend, so I hope it holds off. Yeah. Now we could use a break. I mean, it's nice to see our lakes all up to where they're they're supposed to be, but uh, we could use a, use a little bit of a break. So, so either one of you uh, fine gentlemen, and I do use that loosely, get a chance to uh, do any fishing this past weekend? Actually, Matt, you had your tournament, right? Didn't you have your uh, flounder tournament? Yes, sir. It was the seventh annual kayak division for the uh, Point Pleasant Beach Elks Lodge. Um, it was their 20th anniversary, so it was a big one for them. Um, that was a good tournament. It, we had a pretty good turnout. Um, we had 30 anglers registered, which isn't bad for announcing the tournament a month before it was a tournament. <laughs> and... Uh, we we typically have uh, around 25 to 30 anglers, so that's the way it's been, it, it, and it's it's good. It's I like keeping it as a small tournament. This way, it's it's uh, it's a little bit more competitive, and then it's not as competitive because everybody kind of knows each other, so it works out. Well, right, but, exactly. Um, it takes a lot of that that, yeah. that cheating nature out. Everybody knows everybody, kind of thing. So, yeah. But first place was a 28 inch fluke or flounder, which is a very nice fish. Yeah. So is it just a total size, total inches between all the fish, or what was the uh, – how was that? Uh, there were four that? different categories. It started out – the first one was the longest fish, and that's just one. The second one was the three combined 
and that, that's the longest in inches. And then the, uh, the third category was the, the longest trash fish by inches. And uh, trash fish consists of, like, dogfish and sea robins and, you know, all, that, all those kind of fish that are not flounder. <laughs> um, and then the, uh, the fourth category was the actual um, count, the highest count of different species caught, which was a, a new one for us this year. So it just puts a little fun into it, you know. Good. So, uh... So Jim, you doing any fishing this, uh, this past weekend? Um, I've had to slide down to the pond a little bit. Our old greyhound had about three quarters of her teeth removed. Um, the one oh, we just no. adopted. Yeah. yeah she um, came home Friday, and um, they put her on a couple different drugs. One was an opiate derivative. I was like, hopefully we don't end up with an addicted dog with the shakes. Um, but I just slid down to the pond, caught some bass and some brim. Um, between her, when she was knocked out on her painkillers, I got slapped out of the house a little bit. So she's doing much better now, but she looks kind of funny because she doesn't have very many teeth left. Mm. Soft food for her, huh? Yeah, but she's doing, she's doing good. She's wagging her tail. You know, she can still eat. And um, some of her teeth were um, had abscesses on them. I mean, they were horrible. So in another couple of weeks, she should be feeling better and moving around even better than she was before. So. Uh, uh, that tournament, Matt, was that artificial only, or was that combination? No, nah, it was a uh, combination, just rod and reel, um, no nets, that sort of thing. But, Any um, strippers yeah, you could brought use... in? I'm sorry? Any stripers brought in? On um, the prefish, yes, a couple of small stripers. Oh. Uh, I think they were like around 20, 24 inches. Sweet, awesome. But uh, no, none for actual tournament day. Actually, uh, one guy caught a stargazer. I have never seen one of those caught up here. Wow. I actually actually really have never heard of a stargazer until I saw that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I can't say that I'm familiar with them. Yeah, it went into the trash fish category, so I, w- I wasn't sure. <laughs> it's a very strange-looking fish. Yeah, I like the, uh, I like the idea of you know, kind of total of three fish. In fact, there's, um, uh, I'm working with a couple of people who uh, run our local kind of uh, freshwater kayak club down here, possibly putting together a a fly-only tournament this fall. So we're going after bass, but then we're thinking about, like, you know, three biggest fish where, you know, they've got to be different. So down here, you know, you'd be looking for, you know, snakeheads, bass, um, peacocks, Lion cichlids, whatever, just you know, three largest different fish. So that's kind of what we're uh, thinking right now. Still putting, uh, still putting it together. Still kind of gauging interest. So while we're talking about, if anybody's interested in South Florida about a uh, fly-only freshwater tournament this fall, check out uh, Florida Bass Paddlers Facebook page and uh, let them know what you think. So, uh, Very cool. Yeah. So tonight, the plan, um, despite um, Greg's absence, which, you know, Greg was at ICAST, was kind of hoping he'd be here, we'd talk about some electronic stuff, um, was to finish up last week. So last week, we played a bunch of interviews that we did at ICAST. 
um, played a couple of uh, kayak manufacturers, some gear companies. Kind of wanted to play the second half this week. So, gentlemen, uh, the two kayak companies we're going to be going over uh, are from Wilderness Systems and Hobie. So, I guess let me let me start off with the interview that I did with Kevin at Hobie, uh, talking about the new um, PA17T. So, here is the the technical interview with with Kevin. Hi guys, this is Kevin from Hobie, and we're going to talk about the new Pro Angler 17T. It's a tandem Pro Angler, it's 17 feet long, 44 inch beam, and it has three different seating positions. It has the regular tandem seating position with the Vantage Seat XT and the social seating position where you're actually facing each other, looking at each other and fishing on the water. And you also have a single man position where you can use one Mirage Drive and your seat, and you can be on the boat by yourself. Uh, it's a really innovative boat. You have brand new patent pending H-Rail design where you can take accessories, put them on your kayak, and remove them within seconds. You can change the location by simply undoing the latch and moving them up and down or around 360 degrees on the rail itself. We have five new accessories that go on the H-Rail, including a ta new tackle box. We have a, a new cup holder, a rod holder, and a plate for your Scotty mounts and other accessories and also a ram ball mount. On top of that, you can put two H-rails on this. You can have, uh, with the H-rail system, on that H-bar, and um, so you can stand and pull yourself up and stand comfortably on this boat. Um, the other thing that we added was the option of putting a trolling motor on the boat. Use a trolling motor bracket that, that can go right up front and mount within minutes. Uh, we also have a battery holder in the very back, so if you're going to put a trolling motor on, you need a 12 volt to power it up. You have a, trolling, uh, a battery stand right in the back of the, in the hull. We have up to 10 in-store rod holders, and we have three additional, or you can put as many additional rod holders on the outside. Um, and it comes with uh, so many accessories that you'd have to go through our catalog to see what we got. All right. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Matt, Jim, if you guys had a chance to uh, check out, I'm sure you've seen all the pictures out there on social media and everything else of the, of the new 17T. So, what are your uh, what are your initial thoughts on the uh, on the boat? Uh, I honestly thought it should come with a trailer. Yeah, it's it's you know it's definitely going to require a trailer of some sort. I mean, it's 17 feet long, 230 pounds empty. So, I mean, it's not something you're going to lug up on top of a rack or you know slide easily in the back of a truck by any means. So. Nah, but I, I thought the cool part about it was that you could actually switch it to a, a single, to a tandem, uh, and um, it, that would actually be a pretty good setup for um, if you had a Torquedo motor for the Mirage Drive. You could just put it right in the center there and, uh, you know, throttle it up. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea. Well, there's a there's a bracket there's a bracket on the front that you can put on there for a trolling motor. I mean, obviously it's not a torpedo that you can just drop through, uh, you know, uh, the drive well, which is which is a cool idea. But, um, you know, um, there is a bracket up front at least to mount something on, so. Sure. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting So we had a huge no-motor zone in, um, off Merritt Island, and then you got the no-motor zone over in the Mosquito Lagoon, so that place not no-motor but pulling troll. I think it would have a lot of impact because if you had, you know, a child or you, you and your wife or 
uh, you and your fishing buddy wanted to go out or someone wanted to film and someone wanted to fish or you wanted to pull somebody around. But, I mean, that's a large boat, you know, no doubt about it. A large, heavy boat. And it is a boat, and I and I, I think I, I think that definitely clears the distinction that it's really no longer a kayak, right? It is a boat, um, yeah. and you need to look at it like one. I mean, it has a mirage drive, but it's at, at, at that length and weight, it's definitely a boat. It's a large boat too. I mean, for yeah. what it is for a plastic boat. I would be interesting to see when you start talking about hull rigidity and something that long that's plastic, plus you have holes in it for um, the Mirage Drive, I would like to, it'd be interesting to see how sturdy, how strong that hole really is at that length. Well, I think time's going to tell. So one of the things that was interesting at ICAST is, is looking at the 17T that was there, is looking it over, and, and while there's a lot of things we'll, we'll discuss in a minute that I really like, I, I looked inside the hull, and there was a lot of spray and foam, and there's new stringers basically down through the hall and, and, and talking with Kevin and, and the guys that were there from Hobie, and I'm like, oh, what is this? This is different. Um, and they said, yeah, they actually had issues with the boat bowing underweight. Um, like if you put too much weight in the middle of the boat uh, while it was still buoyant, it was flexing too much. So they ran extra stringers, uh, and then they did a spray and foam over that to help secure it into the hall. So, yeah, you're right. It's still a plastic boat, um, but at least they've, you know, we're hopefully we're able to identify any concerns up ahead of time. But um, I think it's still going to be interesting to tell once you get the thing out in the sun for, you know, days on end and, you know, a couple of big guys on it and see how it uh, see how it holds up. So, yeah, I mean, um, definitely. It's, you, you're going to need the two guys just to, to kind of get it to the water anyway, so. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a, well, I don't think it's the boat that you know you're going to take out by yourself. Before we go too far, I, I wanted to get your initial your initial thoughts. But um, you know, walking around the show at ICAST, talking to different you know people from the community that you know, and, and getting some initial feedback, a lot of it was very you know kind of negative. Oh, it's big, it's heavy. You know, the price point. Uh, who's going to be you know who's going to use this and. And then I got a chance to to talk to Drew Mixon, um, you know, admittedly a Hobie guy, but um, Drew had some pretty interesting insights into who potential buyers for the Hobie 17T might be. So we kind of paused our conversation. I was able to kind of get him to rewind a little bit, and we we captured it here. So let me play this with Drew, and then I wanna I wanna continue the conversation. So here's with Drew. Drew Nixon. So, we just had the uh, technical review of the new Hobie uh, 17T. Uh, Kevin went through all the features and everything else, and obviously there's a lot of, uh, you know, comments throughout the kayak community. Uh, it's, it's, it's large, it's a heavy boat, 230 pounds, and obviously the price tag, but there's obviously a very niche market for it. You and I were talking about that. So, what are your thoughts on who's going to be buying this? Who's going to be, you know, fishing out of this? Exactly. Um, you know, of course, it's, being a Hobie boat, you're going to have um, the, the Hobie uh, brand proud people, so it's going to appeal to, to those people that already own a, own a Hobie. But some of the specific things about a boat of this size, it's not just the length of 17 feet, it's a couple of inches wider than the, uh, than the PA-14, but also the gunnel depth um, is a couple of inches deeper, so you've got a much more stable boat. Um, this is going to be a perfect boat to be able to stand in, and what I can actually see is um, uh, being a, a, a great piece um, to add on to a, a guide's 
uh, arsenal, you're going to be able to put a guide in the back of the boat and be able to put a customer in the front of the boat. Whether you've got, um, uh, let's say, a father and a young child, the father's going to be able to handle a kayak on his own. You're going to put the young fella in the front of this boat so that the guy can pay more attention to the, to the young guy um, and not, you know, not have to put him in his own kayak. It's going to be fantastic that way. Or a lady angler, who perhaps she's not um, as adept as, at, at kayaking, but she wants to take the trip as well, put her in the front of the boat. Or I'm thinking specifically, I can think some of the occasions, let's just think about um, the No Motor Zone or, the, or Mosquito Lagoon over here on our coast where guys want to catch one of those big 30, 40 inch redfish on a fly rod. Um, it's difficult if you're doing it in a kayak by yourself. Um, if you're an inexperienced kayaker and maybe you're not a, a very experienced fly angler as well, put the guide in the back of the boat. You can put your fly angler in the front of the boat. That way he's nice and stable. The guide's able to maneuver the boat, put you in front of those redfish, and you'll be able to throw a fly at those fish that you wouldn't um, ordinarily be able to, uh, to get to. Um, I, I spoke to um, uh, another gentleman who's actually um, uh, put one on order. Uh, he's a, a husband uh, a husband and wife. They like to tandem kayak together because she prefers the tandem, but they've got a couple of young children as well, so he's in the uh, ability to, um, to have a fishing kayak, but then again, he can take his wife out, you know, they can do their tandem day, but also he can take his small children, he's got them right, right in the boat with him, they can do the, uh, the social seating where they're both facing each other so he can keep an eye on the kids and stuff. Um, um, this is definitely a boat that you're going to want to, I, I expect, trailer. It is uh, 17 feet long, um, so water access is, um, you know, is, is going to be a consideration for some people. But most of our kayak launches now, we're able to get pretty close to the, um, uh, to the water uh, at a kayak launch. Hobie's got a specific um, cradle that fits this boat as well. So basically you slide it off the trailer, onto the cradle, right to the water. Um, and the way the cradle is positioned, it doesn't actually fit in the scuppers. It's a cradle um, type of a uh, um, uh, uh, wheelies so that you can move it a little bit farther forward. So it's a little easier to, um, to, to maneuver the thing once you get it off of the trailer. So it's not, it's not for everyone, but I think that there's a very specific market and this is going to be uh, the item that's going to fit that particular market. Well, I definitely think it's going to be of interest to the to the guides, like you said. I think that's going to be great that a guide, you know, particularly out on the flat somewhere like that, like in the Motor Zone, Indian River, Mosquito Lagoon, you know, you can have a guy in the back pulling, put a customer in the front, whether it's fly, conventional gear, just customer up front, focusing on fishing. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. And then, you know, the configurability, being able to put, you know, the Mirage Drive in different locations, flip the seating around, remove the seat, put the seat in the middle. So I think it's going to be a pretty flexible platform. Yeah, having that flexibility to be able to move the seats, uh, to be able to move, it actually has got three drive wells, so um, you're able to move the drives around, switch the seats around to the social seating. There's a lot of flexibility in the thing, and with the new rail system, I'm sure Kevin went over the rail system, um, you know, that's something else. You're going to be able to carry so much more equipment, so much more gear, um, you know, in the thing. Uh, you know, a lot of guys are going to, going to look at this and just see, um, you know, endless opportunities. So it's something, it's something that's going to be really interesting to that particular market that's looking for... Um, you know, the tandem, uh, a tandem fishing platform rather than just a tandem kayak that they want to fish out of. I guess we'll have to see how it does in the market. All right. Thanks, Drew. Yes, sir. All right. So, um, Drew's, you know, Drew's observation that, you know, with the, with the market of the guides, um, you know, charter surface, things like that, and, and tandems, and, you know, I, I kind of, you know, beg to argue with him later that, you know, how many kayak charter guys are going to spend that much money on, you know, a kayak just for a guide service, and maybe some, you know, and maybe the ones who are already, you know, Hobie guides, you know, the ones that are already, you know, in the Hobie program, maybe they'll get a discount, um, you know, for that, though, I mean, if you take the price out of the equation, 
you know, if you you can put somebody up up front and have a guide on the back. Um, it's a nice platform for that. You know, uh, Sean, one thing you could do is at that price point, but that size and that width, you might be able to pull some people out of GNU's, um, which is a similar price point plus engine, because the one nice thing about that boat with the uh, Mirage Drive is it doesn't require to be registered, at least in the state of Georgia. I think it's the same way in Florida. Mirage Drives and pedal boats don't have to be registered. Any boat in our state with any kind of engine, trolling motor, gas, does not matter. You've got to register it with the state. You've got to get numbers. You've got to keep all that up. Where this would eliminate, you know, one less, you know, one less thing you have to do with. Yeah, Florida's so the you same might way. Some, you, yeah. Yeah, it's with 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 the with the pedal system. You won't have to register it. Um, you know, and the fact that while it is, you know, big and wide and long, you know, that that long water line does make boats a little a little faster, you know, through the water. Um, you know, that kind of goes to all kayaks, but so it allows them to get through there, you know, cut through the water pretty well. Um, the high the high gunnels on the side make it nice, you know, it gives you the higher railing. It's It's kind of like almost sitting in a luxury canoe to some extent, you know, with instead of being all the way deep and just, you know, bare sheet metal or fiberglass bottom, you know, you've got... You know, the typical deck that you can put like a C deck or something down on and, you know, the three drive wells and the seats. I mean, you know, you can do all kinds of configurations with the seats from front to rear to flip the front one to face the rear. Um, there's three drive well positions, you know, so you can have just a single one in the middle, one in the front, one in the rear, two, you know, middle and back, I mean, whatever. So, the, you know, there's a lot of configurations you can do with it. I just... You know, I, I know there's a couple of people that are already, you know, big Hobie fans that are anxious for the boat to come out. But um, I, I really, my personal opinion is I think it's going to be a very limited market uh, for the Hobie 17T. Um, are they planning on selling this down in Australia, New Zealand, and over in Europe? Do you know? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, I didn't ask about the intended the guys, market. Yeah, the guys in New Zealand and Australia tend to gra- gravitate to the larger boats. I've noticed, you know, the that tri-haul with the sail. What is that? Uh, I can't remember the name of that boat Hobie has. The uh, Tandem Island or the Adventure one. Island? Adventure Island. I've noticed some <laughs> YouTube's video where there's some guys a lot further offshore in Australia in uh, Adventure Island than I would go being run down by, you know, a 12-foot great white trying to check out what the guy was sailing. So, I mean, they're, they're a little more adventuresome. And there's some ocean kayak videos of some guys in um, Australia way offshore and four- and five-foot swells, you know, running sails on their big Trident Angler 15s. Like I said, a lot further offshore than I would be in a boat that small. So they, you know, there might be a market down there for them, you know. Yeah, maybe. You know, talking with with the guys at Hobie, though, they they were pretty quick to admit that while they preserved the sail mount and you know the the socket up front, you know, like a typical PA, they admit that it's not going to be really usable for a sail per se. Even though you could buy the sail and put it on there, it's just in where its location and and setup. Um, they they left it 
you know, basically for a lot of the legacy because there's a lot of other mounts and accessories that go into that same, you know, mounting hole up front. So they left it for that more than anything, even though they're still going to offer a sail drive. Now, the Tandem Island and the, uh, the Adventure Island are kind of different, you know, as far as the configuration. I mean, I know here in the States there's a lot of guys in Texas that, you know, from what I've seen online, that take the Tandem Islands, you know, and go 30 miles out to some of the oil rigs to, you know, go fishing and back. You know, they're clearing mm-hmm. some pretty serious, you know, ground, but, you know, that's the sails. Right. So. Uh, I- I think it's really going to be a, a hit with, um, you know, the biggest with families, not really per se even the fishing market. But um, say you own like a lake house or something like that and you just want some sort of human power craft, you could take two or three people out on one, at one time, you know, and just kind of enjoy pedaling around. I mean, it's, I think that's where, where the, their, their, uh, their hit area is going to be. Uh-huh. And it's still being a fishing kayak, right, so that you can still take the family out and still fish if you want to. Um, you know, I know I know Chuck at KBB Outfitters down here. He's he's dying for it to become available because he's got two young boys, and you know he can put the boys up front and take the thing out fishing. You know, whether it's out in the No Motor Zone or Indian River, wherever. Um, you know, so it makes a lot of sense in those those cases. Um, I just you know I, I keep thinking about the broader audience. Like, is this something you're gonna? you know, use in different areas, you know, California or, you know, inshore, and I just, it just seems to be a little bit maybe limited, but time will tell. I'm sure Hobie's done a lot of research, and, you know, their marketing department's done their job. So there's a reason they chose to go that direction. No. Okay. Um, well, the the other kayak company that uh, had a chance to spend some time with was the guys over at Wilderness Systems. Um, so for those who listened last week, you know, we covered uh, Native, we covered the new Slayer Propel 10, and we covered um, the Old Town Predator uh, XL uh, electric drive. So this week we wanted to go over Hopi and Wilderness. So Wilderness, I got a, interviews in a couple of parts because they had they had a lot there. So um the first one I want to go over is the new boat, the new Thresher. Uh, so let me play the interview, and then we can we can discuss it here. Okay. I'm Evan Leindecker, Marketing Manager with Wilderness Systems. Hi, Evan. Hello. Yeah. Uh, TJ Siebler. I'm the yeah, yeah, Regional yeah. Manager for the West Coast. Morning, TJ. So which, uh, which kayak are we looking at here this morning? Looking at the Thresher here. Uh, the Thresher is our new big water, open water, offshore boat uh, that's been in the design process for a while, and um, it's become fully realized. Yeah, I know. It looks great. Um, I guess let's start up here at the, uh, the bow and, and talk about this front hatch. Okay. You want to take this one, Susan? Uh The front hatch is a, is a molded well. It's a scupper tank well. You have a lot of storage for fish or safety equipment. Uh, the hatch is not meant as a watertight steel, but does have a, a steel available for it. Uh, it's got park, uh, paddle park on it, rod, rod parks on it. Uh, nice lashing system, the real flush, keep it clean so your lines aren't caught on it. It's uh, meant for easy access. We uh, we have Orbix hatches on most of our boats, 
This particular hatch, the bow cover hatch, is meant for easy access. So when you're going through, you know, heavy surf things like that, you can just really reach up forward, kind of unhook it with the rubber straps that it has, get in there and get what you need. Um, it's good for stowing, you know, safety gear. You need to stow any like rods, lures, anything really that you would have out there. Uh, it'll keep it safe and dry, and uh, yeah, protect it from the elements. And this uh, this this front strap is this for rod tips or folding the rods down, or is that's the paddle part? Okay, the paddle. Paddle, okay. But you could throw a rod under there quite easily. Okay. Um, and it looks like a nice place to mount some electronics here behind that. Yep. So that's our FlexPod OS. It is the um, evolution of our FlexPod that was featured on the Ride 115X. Uh, this one is the OS stands for oversized, so it's uh, larger, it, which can hold a bigger battery, and it fits the uh, the Raymarine and Lowrands kind of the uh, the larger size. I think CJ, you have specifics on what those fit. Yeah, it'll fit the larger Raymarines, the bigger HDI transducers from from Lowrands, uh, much much bigger scupper than what the Ride X has. Okay. So if you're not an electronics guy, you wouldn't necessarily have to put electronics in it. It's a larger um, storage unit, so and it's dry storage, so you can put you know things in there, even cell phones, things like that. Of course, in a dry bag, but it's uh, it's good for storage and easy access as well, right in front of the, the cockpit. Yeah, but it, it does you know make a lot of sense. I mean, obviously, this is the offshore boat, right? So this is you know the one place that guys are likely to put on you know fish finders, depth finders. Very likely to see the bigger use, especially especially out west. We see a lot of Lorant HES, we see a lot of the dragonflies and those bigger transducers. So that larger scupper hole really is going to be a big deal. Yeah, and with this, there's no no other need to go through a scupper hole or anything else. It all mounts on the bottom of that, that flex pod, right? It's completely self-contained. You can take that whole thing and stow it during surf launches. Makes it really nice and protected. Uh, I personally take the head unit off and then stow the battery and everything up in that bow hood. The, the pod is waterproof enough so the batteries don't bother. I just take my ram and put it under the deck. And also, CJ, you took it out in some kelp, and um, the, the train distributor did not catch on any of that kelp, correct? Yeah, we went through some really, really thick kelp out in La Jolla. Current uh, was down, the kelp was all laying real flat up in the surface. We paddled through, absolutely no issue with catching. Okay. No, these are... Uh, um, Put rest a little bit, a little bit bigger, a little new here. Yeah. Yep. Indeed they are. So across uh, the line, the the rudder ready line, uh, will have new gas pedal style foot um, pedals. And so basically, you kind of move them fore and aft with your toe and heel, rather than with your legs moving back and forth. Um, it's going to make for a much more comfortable paddle. Uh, honestly, it's going to make for a much more controlled rudder turn. Um, and the in the foot pegs themselves are just bigger and you know more ergonomic to your feet so uh, th that's a definite definite improvement in our line so moving to the center hatch uh, go ahead and take that seat. the center hatch is, is a pivoting hatch it, it, it opens up from the back it, it pivots forward and enables rod storage we got rods up to eight and a half feet pretty pretty heavy 30 40 pound rods uh, nice nice heavy gear like what we're fishing offshore for yellowtail and, and sea bass and halibut and all that the hatch is really super watertight. Simple two latches in the back. Uh, it's got a, a new seal that Wilderness is doing on all their hatches. Um, much better than the, the foam style seals we see in the rest of the industry. Uh, it's got a nice measuring board on top of it. It's all molded in and a, and a gear track to our slide track to put, put accessories on. Yep. Yeah, so the uh, slide track on top and then uh, down in the hall I saw you, you've got a, a rod down there. There's a, a <clears throat> molded foam piece. Is that, is that going to be standard down there to help hold the rods, or is that an that accessory? That is an optional accessory, yeah. Okay. The optional accessory on that on that guy, there's also two drop-in trays available. One that allows more clearance for reels and, and that kind of thing if you have your rods stored in there. Okay. And the uh, inside the hatch, there's a little, the, the black tray to hold the, you know, the Plano boxes and stuff so you can get your 
uh, gear on top and then rods down below. I'll stow it away. Yeah, okay. And those will be available uh, when the boat becomes available after September 1 um, for the 14-footer and for the 15-and-a-half. That will be available after October 1st. Um, but the accessories for this boat will be available on HarmonyGear.com. Okay. So, like the uh, the uh, what were these the thigh straps here, the straps on the side. Yep, that's an, that's an accessory as well. So okay. those will be available. Um, so speaking of the thigh straps, those are really just for when you're surfing this boat. Um, the hull is designed in a way that it can punch through waves on the way out, and on the way back in, it will surf pretty gracefully. So um, it, with these thigh straps, you just get more control when you lean in into certain waves and things like that. Okay. And then the uh, um, the seat here. Uh, talking about this a little earlier. Obviously not the uh, the Air Pro, but being the offshore boat, this is still the uh, the fixed uh, lower profile seat. Yeah, we're, it's the fixed phase three that we see on the tarpon line. Uh, very comfortable seat. It is done very well. Uh, it's a little bit smaller profile back. It makes it a little easier bracing in the surf and such. You're not hitting your shoulder. It also makes it a lot easier to turn around, and get to bait tanks, and that kind of thing that we are using on these type of boats. Yep. To clarify, it is AirPro. Um, it's the AirPro sit-on-top seat. So the, the materials, the UV-resistant, um, breathable materials, water-repelling materials, the same thing that you're, you're going to see featured on the AirPro Max and all of our AirPro lines. So um, it's time-tested. It's a great design. It's got the leg lifters for, uh, you know, to keep your kind of leg fatigue from happening. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. It's very comfortable. Uh, behind the seat, obviously, lots of uh, lots of room in the uh, storage area back there. Places yeah. to uh, strap everything down. Um, so you got a hatch for the rear access, and uh, are both of those rear ha uh, hatches going to be uh, fixed, or are they optional as well? Or the hatches are not standard. There's actually two in the tank wall, and also there is one under that bow hood as well uh, for doing mounting on trolleys and stuff. Back behind the seat, we have a lot of room to do flush mount rod holders. We have four mounted on this boat, but creatively, you could easily get six in this guy. So normally what we'll do is we'll do two at about a 35, 45-degree angle uh, for trolling, and then we'll two that are set completely aft for storage on gaffs or, or what have you. And then uh, uh, the rudder uh, in the rear, is this the, uh, the new rudder design as well? It is, yep. Um, it's the course control rudder, which is a, an improvement from our, uh, our previous rudder. Um, that will also apply to all rudder models across the line. So, uh, to, to clarify, the, uh, the rod holders that are back of the flush mount, I know you said they're on an optional different configurations. You can put up a six in the back, you've got four here. But these are all optional rod holders on the back, right? Those are optional. The slide tracks are standard, though. The boat right. does feature slide tracks. We can, you, know, you can do ram tubes or what have you in the back, and it'll, it'll work out just fine. I know a lot of guys uh, don't like the flush mounts, but we do use a lot of them out west, and, and so we, we do like having the option to be able to put so many of those. Obviously, mighty mounts and, and ram tubes. Scotty, all that would fit as well, but the, you know, the flush mounts and the clearance for the flush mounts under the deck is quite important to us. Yeah, the deck was designed in such a way that it's just for capacity and um, just accessory addition. It's just got ideal, well thought out places for aftermarket accessories and just the sheer capacity that this boat can hold is, is not seen anywhere else in the market. What is the uh, what is the capacity predicted to be? I mean, if it's not, I know it's still in prototype stage, but I think it's 500. So it's around 500 yeah, pounds? 500 on it, uh, at least on the 15.5. On the it's got a lot of volume. When we took it out, uh, these boats had a lot of volume in the bow, especially. They, they rode up to the surf incredibly well. Uh, we When we did this, uh, the last shoot we did on it, last boat shoot we did on the, uh, we sat in the surf for at least five minutes timing sets, and it lifted over every single thing. Very little whitewash over the bow. The scuppers on this boat are objected to be oversized but will drain a lot better than, than uh, even the tarpons do. We've never really had much problem with those draining. Well, I, I got to tell you, the boat looks great. I'm very excited and uh, can't wait to maybe try one out in the water sometime. Awesome.
So the uh, the thresher for an offshore boat was 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 pretty well designed. So actually, of all the boats that I saw between the the new PA, the electric drive, which was kind of anticipated on the Predator, um, some of the other ones, getting to see the thresher um, was nice. It was impressive. Now I know Jackson wasn't there, and you know obviously they're they're holding off till next week to release the Kraken. Um, that said, looking at the Thresher, I think Wilderness did a fantastic job designing an offshore boat with offshore features in mind. The front oversized hatch that's easy to get in and out, uh, the center hatch with the rod holders. Now, the one thing I thought was kind of interesting is, you know, talking with them, and, and you could probably pick up on that in the interview, is like the the rod holders for the hull, the rod holders for the rear, everything was an accessory. So it sounds like it's going to come pretty plain Jane while it's wildly configurable, um, you're going to have to buy the extra rod holders and you know accessories and things to kind of dress it up the way you want. So. In one way, that's probably a good idea because I'm sure that um, keeping rod holders and and you know certain things that you may or may not want with the boat, um, I'm sure that keeps the the initial price point down. Um, you know for uh, you know, I'm a Jackson guy, and our boats are fishable right out of the factory. But, you know, all that all that extra stuff, you know, adds on to the price, where as some people may not need the type of rod holders that we, we have in the back. You know? So I, I think that's pretty a pretty cool option. I'm just hoping that it's, it's comparable, um, it's price comparable to what else is on the market, rather than just be, all right, this is the only type of accessory that works with this boat. And you have to buy it from us. You know what I mean? Well, there's there's a few things in it, and I think typical, you know, wilderness. They have a relationship with with Harmony there, right? So I think a lot of their accessories are geared towards it. While some stuff is universal, um, like the so I know you can't see it here. This is radio, right? We're we're visualless, <laughs> but uh, the center hatch when you pop that thing off first. Much like the Jackson Cuda, there's a black insert that goes down, but this was kind of molded and two-tiered, so you could put Plano boxes up front, and it would hold Plano boxes, like the 3,700, 3,600 boxes in there. Then that comes out, and then down below it was a rubber foam uh, block that had notches in it for rods. So you could slide the rod tip in first, run it towards the stern, and snap the handles down in the block, drop it all back in, put the hatch back on, strap it shut. This way everything's out of the way. So when you're doing your, you know, entries and, and exits, you know, through the surf or, you know, any sort of big water, it, it kind of gets all that stuff out of the way so that nothing is out, even if it's, you know, it's in a rod holder and I've got it on a leash, but maybe it'll fall out. It, you know, it just kind of gets that out of the way. Um, so, yeah, I like that. that that's, was, that's pretty cool. I haven't seen that yet, and that that's uh, yeah. very innovative. Um, I'm sure you'd be seeing everybody gluing foam down to the uh, inside deck of the kayak now. Well, yeah. and that was kind of my thing is, is that, okay, let's say that the Kraken comes out and has a nice big center hatch that you could put stuff in, but it doesn't have that accessory. Well, great. You know, you go to Harmony, you buy that foam block, or, you know, and you, you glue it down inside of, you know, another kayak. So, you know, I think that's going to be somewhat universal. Um, 
So there's definitely some definitely some cool innovation, and and you know one of the things I thought was interesting is you know you heard the correction on the seat is while the new material, the new styles, all the AirPro branding from Wilderness, you know they introduced the um, you know the new AirPro Max seat, which we'll get to here in a minute, which is the new you know lawn chair type seat that you know Wilderness has been lacking, um, but in the Thresher they have that same you know, kind of fixed, but, you know, it's raised, so it's not like, uh, you know, one of the molded-in seats, you know, like an ocean uh, kayak trident or something. You know, it's it's a it's a raised seating, so you're not sitting in the water. Um, and it's the same material, so it's very nice, it's very comfortable, but it's still not quite a, you know, lawn chair seating. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they finally came out with the new seat, but didn't find a way to kind of incorporate it into the thresher. And I get it, it's an offshore boat. And, you know, you want the weight low and, you know, it's just I, I, I kind of thought it was interesting that um, they they chose not to opt for the new seat in the new boat. You know, Sean, it's, it's an interesting conversion or convergence on the offshore boats, ocean, you know, ocean kayak, wilderness systems, some of the Vikings. And I think you'll probably see this in the Kraken and also there's a composite sit on top that comes out of South Africa that looks really, really amazing. Um, they all have that center pod now, or a center opening into the inner hall where you can put things in and out of. And, you know, in the old days, my first boat was a Tarpon 16, and it was a fast boat. For a plastic sit on top, it was a fast boat. It was probably, I think it was 24 or 25 inches wide. You couldn't stand in it. Had the tub, had no seat, you had to get an aftermarket seat from Surfer Summit or you'd have a sore butt at the end of the day. Um, and they had two covered hatches, one in the front, one in the back, and you had to open a hatch. If you went through the surf, you had to put everything in, then get out of the surf, open the hatch, and pull stuff out. And I think the innovation of having that center accessible to the inner hull is a real bonus for anyone going offshore. Um, the things that always bothered me in my tarpon and also in my, I had an ocean kayak, Trident 15, you know, the the area in which you placed your calf, to me, never seemed big enough. I was always rubbing on the rails that held the foot pegs that went to the rudder or rubbing on something. And it was interesting to see if they accommodated larger calves in that design because I noticed that when you went to that center pod, it reduced the area for the lower leg and some of these kayaks. And it, I, I hated. I had to wear long, you know, long pants with my trident because it would rub the skin off the side of my calves. That um, the rail where the rudder was, and also, you know, rudder size. A lot of people don't talk about it. I didn't have a rudder on my tri on my um, my tarpon 16. I didn't put a rudder on it because I didn't need it for a boat that long. Um, I had a sit-in current design storm that had a rudder on it. It was a true sit-in sea kayak, you know, twin ball kids. And it had a larger rudder than the wilderness system was selling. And one thing I noticed with my ocean, I did not think the rudder was large enough for that boat volume. Because that tried an angler 15, and now they have those altered anglers. That volume of that boat, you look at the hull top to bottom, it had a fair amount of volume in it compared to the old tarpon. And that little rudder they had on it, you know, I could lean into that thing and try to edge that boat like you would have sit in. And um, it just did not turn as much as it should with a rudder. And I think these guys are talking about seats and being comfortable. 
But, you know, when you're fighting wind, you really need to have the right kind of rudder and the right size of rudder or you just get rid of the rudder altogether because it's not doing you any good. Yeah, and the rudders definitely make a difference. And obviously, the bigger the boat, the more wind, you know, the more the more rudder you're going to want. Um, you know, and the I'm trying to think if they even had a rudder on the Thresher, and I think they did, but I think it was um, again, it was you know an accessory there. Um, what I did notice that. Wilderness and, and Old Town are both doing. We're using the newer design, so um, I just put a uh, a Sealac um, True Course rudder. It's a True Course on my on my Jackson Cuda, and the controls instead of sliding the foot pegs forward and back, um, it's just the toe pedals. You just push them forward with your toes, and you control the rudder that way. And to me, that you know, being bigger, you know, six foot three in the kayak instead of having to move my legs back in and out on the on the foot pegs, having the toe controls was, was real nice. So that seems to be the trend going forward and you know, using the cables instead of um, you know, on the on the foot pegs instead of sliding the entire uh, foot support back and forth. So both seem to be going in that direction. Yeah, I like that setup because um uh, I don't know if you uh remember with the, the sliding uh tracks if you got sand in there, <laughs> every time you go to turn the rudder, it's like <laughs> it makes yep. that crunching and you're just noise. down the plastic. Yeah. Yep, and it's just it's just tearing it all up in there, and and it's every time you do it, it gets harder and harder to push. It's just grinding, yeah. you know. So, so on a, that's on one a, thing. On, on, Having the gas pedal set up, it, it uh, alleviates that big time. Yeah. So I actually I think uh, from a follow from. Earlier conversation, Matt, I, I owe you some pictures of this. I think I was talking with you online back and forth about the rudder setup before I put it in. So now that it's in, I need to I need to get you over some pictures so you can see what I did. So yeah, that would be cool. I um, have a true course on my CUDA too, but I still have the uh, the smart rudder or smart track uh, uh, foot brace track. So gotcha. Okay. So um, final thoughts on the Thresher before we uh, move on. Jim, Matt? Um, I like it. Uh, I, I like how they, they took ideas from other boat manufacturers and brought it into their design because, um, yeah, and they, they brought the, the, the really good things that my, personally I like and, and I see you using on an offshore boat. That center hatch is key. Um, I don't think Wilderness ever had a boat with a center hatch like that. So that's new and that's pretty cool. Um, I, I do like that latching system for that center hatch. That's real neat. I haven't seen that yet. So that's pretty cool. That, that's a good setup. And then also, like we were talking, the uh, the foot brace, the uh, the foot pegs, how they're stationary. I, I really like that. And uh, I, I think that's a, a new product from Harmony there, uh, just released with this boat, correct? It is. It is. You know, yeah. You know, one thing I like, I like the recognition that a flat-water boat is not an offshore boat, and an offshore boat is not a flat-water boat, and that I think we kind of lost vision of that when all the comfortable seats came out and some of the larger, wider boats came out that you could stand more readily in, and I think the market moved away a little bit from a really good offshore boat, you know? Um, 
and it's glad, it's glad to see that even though the there might not be a volume of sales for the offshore boats because it is more demanding environment to fish in, it's good to see that there's still um, manufacturers who are making a boat that can go out in a four or five foot swell, and if you turtle, you know it's not it's not the end of the world. Well, you know, the, the drains in this thing, I mean, again, um, to your point about different design boats, and I, and I think as a community people look for, I'm going to go buy a kayak and I do all kinds of fishing, um, you know, I'm going to buy one that's going to be awesome at everything, and well, it's not, you know, I mean, the, the boat that you buy to go offshore fishing is not, you know, necessarily the good river boat, and it's not necessarily the best one to take out on the flats where you want to stand and sight fish all day. You know, um, you know, I, you know, there's different kayaks for different areas. I mean, there are some good all-around, you know, kayaks out there. Um, but, you know, for a specific, like in this case, we're talking about offshore. You know, they're marketing it as their offshore kayak. Um, the hull design, the layout, the oversized scuppers, the hatches, the the easy access latches for the hatches. Um, Definitely, you know, everything that you would want to look for in an offshore boat, I think, is is in there. Um, again, really looking forward to seeing what Jackson comes out with, and I'm sure there's going to be some differences around seating and, you know, other options. But, um, <clears throat> you know, and it may come down to personal preference on those, but um, I, I think there's – I definitely think there's going to be two really good choices for offshore boats. All right, so the next part of the, the wilderness interview that I want to do was uh, they had one of the newer rides there, and while not a lot has changed on the ride, um, they were showing off the new you know, stand-up bar for the ride for uh, the new Air Pro Max seat. So let's get that going. All right, so now we're moving over to the uh, the ride, 115X. We've also got uh, Bobby Clark. Bobby, hey. you want to uh, say hi? Hey, guys, how are you? So, uh, what's new on the uh, Ride 115X? Well, what we're showing uh, here at the show is uh, the new Air Max Pro seat, uh, high-low seat. Um, the great thing about this seat is, is that it just you can adjust the height of it, you know, very simple and easy with just the pull of the handle. Uh, you can do it while you're fishing. You don't have to stop and do anything. It's just simply reach back, grab the handle, bring it up to the high position, or bring it back down to the low position when you get ready to paddle to your next spot. Um, keeping intact with the other uh, ride seats, you can also move it uh, frontwards and backwards uh, to distribute the load, even out the kayak. Uh, but also, something else that, that's so cool about the seat is the, the different accessories that you can put on it as well. So, what we've done here is I've, I've mounted a uh, uh, Yak Attack uh, gear track on here, or it's uh, GT SL90, and we've got uh, a T-rig on here on one side. On the other side, we've got a, a ram holder, um, Zuka tube, and then we've got a, a cup holder on the other side as well. Another good thing is, is that the, uh, the lumbar support on this is adjustable, so you can actually adjust the straps to firm it up or loosen it up however you like it. Same thing with the with the bottom of the seat as well. You can get it as firm as you want or as cushiony as you want. Uh, you can also add a Plano box in the back of the seat so it's easy to reach or you can actually put the Plano box in the bottom of the kayak underneath the seat. It fits perfectly 
and you can still raise it and lower it with the box down there so it doesn't get in the way. Yeah, so it looks like you got room for a couple of uh, 3,700 boxes down under the seat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So touching more on the, um, the functionality of the seat itself from the high, low, and also kickback position as, as we're calling it, um, there's no straps that you need to you know, clip, unclip, loosen. You don't have to fiddle with anything while you do this. You simply unweight yourself from the seat and just lift up, down as needed. So um, the functionality is just, like Bobby said, smooth and um, it's, yeah, nothing on the market compares. Nothing on the market compares to it. And, you know, another great thing is that the, the seat always stays in contact and attached to the kayak. Um, that's probably the most key feature of this of this product because you know if you happen to fall out or or turn the kayak over the seat's going to stay with it right there all the time. You don't have to worry about it falling off the engine in the head or anything like that. The seat itself is made from premium materials, all sourced from the United States. Um, we worked with a company in actually our our uh, headquartered city of Greenville, South Carolina and um, they really had all the stuff that we needed to make this seat um, just more premium than anything that's out there. Uh, the, the frame itself is, there's zero welds. It is, um, what is it, anodized? Yep. Anodized. So what that means is that there's no powder coating. So it's, it's completely, it's aluminum tube frame, so it's, it's bent to shape um, and just stronger and more durable and ergonomic so there was a lot of thought to just the the materials of the frame itself to make it both comfortable and rugged at the same time all stainless steel um rivets and screws and things that are in here all stainless steel if you don't have to worry about that or anything like that yep okay the the textiles are the same that are featured across the um phase three air pro line um so they're breathable they're also durable, they're UV resistant, they're water resistant, and they're, they're just comfortable. Um, you know, you can, you can see the difference be between this seat and other seats. You know, you can see through it, you can see it's breathable, you can see it's comfortable, you can feel it. It's just... Yeah, it's actually, uh, when I'm on the water, uh, when, I, when I feel a breeze come up, I can, I can really feel it come through this fabric and, and hit that wet shirt and sweat and, and you know, you can really feel it come through there. I'm sure there's uh, quite a few anglers who will appreciate the uh, the breathable material. Oh, yeah. so. It makes a, makes a big difference. Yep. Yeah. Right, because really the um, the mounting is is the same as as it has been on the previous ride. So so for all your previous ride owners uh, out there that want to get the new seat, uh, what are their options? Is there an option to upgrade to the seat? Is it completely you know retrofit? Yeah. yeah so it's completely retrofit. Um, it just slides in like the other seat does. Uh, the aftermarket seat will actually be available in October. Uh, the seat's going to be shipping with the new kayaks in September. Yep. Okay. And you're looking at around a $350 price range. And it can retrofit to model years 2012 and above of the ride family. So that includes the ride 115, 115X, and 135. Right. So the newer, the newer, the newer hauls that have the uh, forward rear adjustable seating. Yep. Okay. So the uh, upgrade for that is, is going to be 350 to to get into the new seat. Okay. Yep. Great. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure quite a few of those uh, those owners will want to want to upgrade to that new seat. So. Oh, I, I'm telling you guys, I've spent up to eight hours in this seat at one time on the lake and. It just makes a huge difference in the, the back support, the lower leg support. It's just it's amazing. All right. Well, um, any other uh, new features on the boat you want to talk about? Yeah, we've got a new uh, stand-up bar from uh, Harmony Gear. It's um, 
no drill install. Slides right onto the ride uh, slide tracks up front there. Um, you can uh, goes up and down very simple and easy. You basically just un unsnap the uh, the pins on the front here. It snaps to the bar. Lean it forward with the strap right here. And then when you get ready to deploy it or bring it back up and you get your fishing spot or ready to stand up, you just pull the strap up. It brings the bar back up. Put the pins in. You're good to go. Very simple, clean, and easy. Um, take some uh, RAM uh, grip uh, products, add a screw ball to it, and now you've got a paddle holder or a rod holder that you can attach to it as well so you can accessorize it how you need it. Yeah, that's going to be great. All right. Sounds good. Yep. Cool. Thanks, guys. Awesome. There we go. Review on the new uh, Air Pro Max seat. Um, my own personal first-hand view of it. While Wilderness was a little slow to come out with a lawn chair seat, and while it's going to nicely, you know, retrofit into you know some of the rides and um, other kayaks, did a really nice job on it. Uh, it's very comfortable. Enjoy, you know, adjust the the tension for the back as well as the seat. Um, the way you control up and down from a kind of like a high or a low rocking position or even modify it as kind of a laid back seat position uh, is definitely nice. So definitely, yeah, definitely did a good job. You know, and there's was, silence. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I haven't actually seen it yet, so I can't really comment. <laughs> yeah. I was on mute, so you didn't hear the dogs barking. Um, that ride kayak has been around forever. I mean, gosh, you know, before 2000, I guess, or before 2001. So the retrofit was a good idea. It's just a classic old design that people still use, um, you know, inshore flat water. Mm-hmm. No, the ride is definitely great. And, and so now the retro, just so that everybody understands it's listening, you know, to this later, the retrofit is only from the 2012 and newer. So the ride, while that boat has been around for a long time, it, it is definitely a, a, you know, tried and true proven, you know, kayak, you know, in the, you know, in the industry. Um, in 2012, they went to a, a high or low seat, like you could buy the low seat for it or you could buy the high seat for it. And it had a track that you could control where you sat, you know, so a little shorter, you can move the seat up, control the balance, or slide it back if you wanted a leg room. Um, it's only the 2012 and newer rides and kayaks that have that track system that this will retrofit to. So. Other than that, it was nice. Uh, the material, unlike some of the other seats, seems a little more solid, definitely was more of a mesh, and you know, definitely a little more breathable. Um, so that'll be, uh, that'll be welcome, I think. So, you know, and the other features on no. the, on the rod, you know, they got a stand up bar. So go ahead, Jim. What were you going to say? I was going to say the price point really isn't that bad. You know, an aftermarket gel bottom seat for plastic tub, like from Surf to Summit, an aftermarket will cost you 225 to 275 That's not a frame. That's a gel, gel butt and, uh, some straps on the side and a foam back. So for an upgrade, that 350 for a price, you might think, oh, that's a lot of money. Well, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a bad price for a frame seat. 
It's really not, you know, and, and to look at the quality materials that they used, and they really did do a nice job of designing it. I will give them that. I mean, the the, the, the materials, the metal, the, the mesh, everything that went into it is, is definitely a quality seat. So the price point I don't think is unfair. I, I think the people who are probably going to have the most heartburn with it are the people who've purchased a ride within this past year. You know, somebody who's just purchased a boat, knowing that the new seat's coming out, that's going to be retrofit, you know, into theirs. It's like, oh, well, yeah, it's still 350 to get it. It's like, wow. Um, yeah, that hurts. You know, yeah, I, I think that they might have, you know, tried to do something for, even though they don't want the old seats back, and I get it, what do you do with all the old seats? But, you know, have some sort of program where, you know, you can say, all right, well, if you've purchased a ride within this, we'll give you $100 off and you get it for whatever, 250 instead. Um, you know, some program like that. But um, that aside, it's definitely a, definitely a nice seat. Um, and, again, lacking visuals here on, on, on radio program, the, the sides of the seat that fit in the track are wide. They actually took a piece of, of the plastic gear track material and I fixed it to each side. So they had a you know, mount on one side with a cup holder and a rod holder on the other, so it's right next to your seat on the outboard side of the seat. So a lot of options, a lot of options. So, Very cool. Yeah, the, um, I mean, the new features, obviously, stand-up bar. You know, obviously, there's the H-bar for the Pro Angler, the Jackson Big Rig's got the stand-up bar. So, you know, again, teaming up with Harmony, they've got uh, the new stand-up bar in the front, which um, isn't really unique to the ride. So any kayak that width, the Harmony stand-up bar should work on as long as it's got gear track up front because it just goes directly into the gear track for mounting. Um, you know, and, and, cool. and having a big rig, and I love my yeah. big rig, um, the stand-up bar is not the easiest out of the box. I mean, the way the pin configuration is to raise it and those small arms for the braces, the Harmony design has kind of improved upon that. So that was that was nice seeing how that is a little easier to raise and lower once you're out there on the water. That's a great idea, though, the stand-up bar in any of those, um, any of those yaks that you're going to fish in shore, especially for us older guys. <laughs> well, just remember, you know, where the uh, head and shoulders go, the rest of you is going to go. So stand-up bar, no stand-up bar. You get your head and shoulders out over the side of the kayak. You're, you're going over. Hold it on or not. So I don't care uh, which kayak you're in. All right. Um, well, looking at the, uh, the time here, we're kind of at the top of the hour. I did want to get into some of the gear. So what I want to do is play a couple of, uh, a couple of quick ones here. So the first one was um, actually from Yeti. We're all familiar with Yeti coolers and whatnot. They got the new soft-sided cooler. So I had a chance to get by the booth, talk to them. And here is a quick sound bite on the Yeti hopper. So I'm Carl Johnson from uh, Yeti Coolers, and today we're going to take a look at... So the Yeti hopper is the new portable cooler from Yeti Coolers. And uh, what makes this unique is it has extra insulation that uh, creates fantastic uh, cold holding ability. 
It also has extremely durable rawhide uh, fabric on the outside. It features 180 or 80, 840 denier fabric, um, which is essentially something very similar to a whitewater raft. Uh, it has a hydrolock, waterproof, leakproof zipper, so you can turn this thing upside down with contents in it. It won't leak in your boat, it won't leak in your car, whatever else. Uh, it's got a shoulder strap and convenient handle straps. It has a uh, durable EVA foam bottom that's flat, so you can set this thing down. It won't tip over. Uh, it also is extremely abrasion resistant. Um, so this thing is just built extremely durable. It's going to last a long time, and uh, like I said, it's going to keep contents cold much much longer than, than your average portable cooler. So the, the zipper being completely waterproof, and you said it won't leak, kind of also goes to the reason that if we're out and this thing gets completely wet, whatever you put in there will also stay dry if it's dry on the inside, right? It will, exactly, yep. All right. It could be, it could be uh, used also as a dry bag if you wanted to. So. Um, it'll completely float. It, it uh, yeah, it, it keeps the wet in or out. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the capacity on this? Uh, uh, the the capacity cooler? of the soft the hopper is 6.5 gallons. Okay. So it'll fit about a 20 pound bag of ice or 18 cans of beers um, or sodas, depending on <laughs> depending on your choice. Uh, it comes with uh, a number of tie down straps. Um, so if you are in rough water or whatever else, you can uh, either use cam straps to uh, tie it down or, or a pea cord or whatever you got. Yeah, just tie, tie in the back down the kayak. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and we also have accessories for the hopper as well. This is called the, uh, the Yeti Sidekick, um, which essentially has four Velcro straps that uh, strap right to the side of the Yeti, so it you know you can get caught on things or whatever else and won't get ripped off. Um, it's it's officially water resistant, but the the fabric itself is completely waterproof. The zipper is waterproof, but if it does get fully submerged, it's likely that that some water will leak in there. But okay. either way, for for splashing, you know, on the on the back of a kayak or whatever else, it's a perfect solution for uh, for keys or wallet or whatever else you need to keep dry. Um, a few tools, uh, something like that. Um, so this is a this is just another kind of cool thing if you want to add it onto your hop. Thank you, Carl. So first I have to say Carl was quite the trooper. So, you know, typical PR guys, they have all their talking points, you know, laid out like, okay, here's all the features, here's what we can do, here's how we're promoting it. Um, and I don't care which product, which company, what they're selling, you know, the marketing guys come armed. Um, and you know when you throw them a curveball because they kind of get stumped and they start looking around at other people. Carl, apparently, and he told me later on after the interview that he'd never been asked about the fact that it could be used as a dry bag and the fact that, you know, it's like, hey, it's a waterproof zipper. You know, water won't leak. Hmm. And I guess water won't get in either, right? Because I've actually heard of a couple of guys, you know, that have, have the betas that they're using, and one guy is keeping all this camera equipment in it. You know, it's a padded bag that's dry. So he's sticking all of this, this camera, uh, you know, equipment in it. Um, you know, Carl just without a hitch, he's like, yeah, and just kind of thought of some use cases and, and played along. So definitely, uh, definitely a good guy, but I could definitely tell I, I threw him for a curve. So Jim, you were saying you're, uh, you're looking for one? Dude, dude, um, one of the downsides of living five hours from any salt water is you end up traveling to the coast a lot. 
And of course, my wife packs. We have a soft-sided cooler, and I have a Yeti Rody for bringing fish back from the coast and shrimp back from the coast. But a lot of times we'll pack snacks and drinks in the um, soft-sided cooler. And more than once, I've gone and tried to get the cooler from around the sea, reaching over, ended up with the soft cooler in my lap upside down. You know, fluids and water, water everywhere, stuff everywhere, just a mess. If that thing really has a waterproof zipper, it would be worth every penny for those of us who have to travel a lot with a you know, confined spaces. Well, and if it does anything as as close as well as what the what the hard sided coolers do from Yeti, I mean, you know, that rotor mold design with their insulation and stuff. I mean, it's you know, they definitely last longer than a conventional cooler. And if they're using that type of material and insulation on the soft side, now you've got a nice soft sided cooler that you know will last. So I think that's going to be nice. I mean, they're pricey, um, but um, I think it's definitely going to be a nice cooler. I think you know, the test for it uh, will ultimately put the put the uh, put it full of ice inside your inside your yak on like a 98 degree day, and uh, <laughs> check it every hour. <laughs> you know, it's just like the Yeli or the Engel hard sided cooler. They're pricey, but if they last four or five times longer, I mean, I've thrown away so many Coleman's and Igloo, you know, Igloo coolers because they've cracked or stuff has broken on them. They just haven't lasted. If you can spend the money one time and it lasts, you know, what three or four other coolers would last, then it's definitely worth it. You know, you get what you pay for sometimes, and that would be nice not to have to replace a cooler every every so often. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I've got a big, you know, Igloo Marine cooler sitting here at the house that I've had for years. You know, the latches are broken and everything else, but it's still great to, you know, throw in the back of the truck and take places. But, you know, it, it, it hasn't held up. Um so that'll be good. Um, yeah. So let's see what else we got on on deck here. Uh, tackle webs. Are you guys familiar with tackle webs? Uh, I know of them. I, I've never used one, unfortunately. So. Yeah, I haven't used them either, I, Jim. I, I have not used them. I have seen them at the store, and I've heard Redfish Chuck talk about them, but. Um, being that I fly fish so much, I try to keep my boat very clean of anything. Well, I've seen them. Um, I know Alan Ryland here has his his big rig pretty much decked out with a lot of the you know the, the pouches and stuff. In fact, he's got a nice like the 12 by 16 or something like that pouch on the front on his standing bar. Um, plus the ones on the side, so he's got extra storage. And while he's standing, you know, he's got, of course, you know, the rod holders, paddle holders, and all that stuff on his bar, so he can just stand, sight fish, and never have to really move away from the bar. He's got the pouch right there that he can throw extra stuff in. So uh, definitely got some neat stuff. And then, of course, you know, they've got the the cooler line now, right? So it's, you know, the web material that you can just Velcro into the, the inside of a cooler or the front of a cooler, um you know so uh, here's here's the sound bite from tackle webs Michael Ward to go with tackle webs and we've got of course a lot of items for the kayak angler uh one of the most popular items is the the Hobie 
uh, Vantage holster set to the side, straps into the side of the Vantage seat. We also have our 16 by 12 and 12 by 16s that fit on the front and the back of all the raised chairs and, uh, and such. And we also have the custom Hobie Outback holster set that has the plier sheath in it. Okay. And we also have a new 12 by 10 that fits on the, the kayak crates. They can okay. either be bungeed in, they'll come with bungee cords. You bungee it right into the crate. It doesn't have any any uh, bolts hanging out and intruding into the crate. Or you can permanently mount it as well. So those are all new items. And then we also rolled out the cooler webs, which is a pretty neat item everybody's been liking. You can install inside the lids of your coolers, keep your stuff from getting soggy, sandwiches and stuff mm -hmm. like that. You don't want sitting in the ice sure. as you're out fishing. So. Now, I've also seen you guys have... Um you know, products for some of like the standing bars or the H bars or different yep. things in the front of the kayaks, like either on the you know Jackson Big Rig or you know the Hobies with the, the standing bars that you've got stuff that catches up there. Yeah, we've there, got right? bags. We've actually got a 14 by 6 bag that comes in Velcro and a bungee system that can be used either on the top or on, can be Velcroed on the side of a lot of kayaks and canoes and stuff. And then we also have the 16 by 12 that a lot of guys are using on the uh, the stand up bars as well. Okay. So how do uh, how do people find you? Check us out at www.tacklewebs.com. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you. There we go. A little soundbite from Tackle Webs. Uh, definitely got some cool accessories. And you're looking for a little uh, pouch or something, check out their website. So, um, let's see. What else do we have? Uh, I think we're down to um, not really a gear company, but, um, you know, if you listen to... You know, Redfish Chuck show, he's usually got a little, uh, you know, commercial there for him. The guy's over at uh, Bonefish Tarpon Trust. Um, so BTT, you know, Bonefish Tarpon Trust was there at ICAST. They had a booth there talking about their research programs, what they do. Um, I've personally been a supporter of BTT for a while now. Um, you know, I love the sport, love the, you know, the sport aspect of all of this, but I also believe in you know, the conservation and trying to, you know, make sure that everybody's being mindful of, you know, what they do um, out there. You know, we can't just, you know, um, ravage the environment and, and wildlife and think it's just going to continue to be there. I mean, I'm sure all of us in all of our areas, whether it's freshwater, saltwater, you name it, you know, have seen the effects of overfishing and, um, you know, commercialization and everything else. Um you know, so I had a chance to, to go by and sit down and uh, talk to these guys for a couple of minutes. So let me play the interview that I did with the guys at BTT. My name is Dan Dow. I'm the PR Communications Manager for Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. And uh, Bonefish and Tarpon Trust is a membership-based nonprofit organization. And uh, we raise funds and we conduct research to help educate the public educate government agencies on uh, on bonefish, tarpon, and permit. So membership base, how many members do you have supporting the program? I would say about 1,500 right now, which okay. obviously we're always looking for more. Yep. You know, there's pretty much everything that we do relies on our membership base. Okay. Um, from funding our research, you know, um, conducting, research. Oh, conducting research, right. We have volunteers coming through and uh, helping us with projects, um, you know, pretty much, like I said, everything is, is, is based on our members, and, and we really, really rely on them. Okay. Um, so the, the research, obviously, your bonefish, tarpon, uh, permit, 
what, what's the focus of the research? Is it around conservation? Is it about, you know, um, just research and studies? I mean, I guess what's the objective of, of the research program? Well, the first thing you need to understand about bonefish and tarpon shots is that we conduct research on an ecological level. So we're not chasing down just permatarpon and bonefish. We actually attack things from the big picture point of view. So in order to do that, our cat, our, our net, you know, it is all about benthic habitat, it's all about water quality, and then individual fish, and then greater fish populations, how the community interacts with that. So it's a huge spectrum of research. And, you know, certain projects highlight the bigger picture as well. So we have certain initiatives, our research are based on initiatives, and we have the Bahamas Initiative, we have the Gulf of Mexico Initiative, we have the Florida Keys Initiative, and these initiatives, you know, attack at the ecological level all the issues for that particular region, and then try to bring it back to what it should be in terms of fisheries health. So speaking of the Florida Keys, um, a lot of our, uh, you know, kayak uh, anglers do go down to, you know, Flamingo and Key Largo and those areas down there. Um, they're watching, you know, the redfish population kind of expand and what they're saying is that's kind of putting a, a damper on the bonefish that the bonefish are pulling out. Is that true or is it, has the, has the population changed much in the, in the Keys? Populations are dynamic, regardless of what species you look at. They go through natural fluxes, they go through human-induced fluxes. So what we're seeing with redfish is a big expanse over the last couple years, particularly since the cold snap. We lost a lot of our bonefish population. They, they took a steep decline. They were already in decline, but that was kind of the icing on the cake. So with that, redfish are a little bit more cold tolerant. They moved in. They're taking up niches, which we're learning through guide interviews, through surveys, that you know they have you know inhabited those areas in the past as well. So what we're seeing is is dynamic niches. They're moving in, they're moving out. It's kind of natural. And I think when you look at it short term, you don't see that. But over long term, you get a better understanding of, of what the ecosystem is doing. So in a couple of years or a few years from now, you could see the, the bonefish move back in and, and the redfish move back out somewhere. Is, is there a, a relation to like one in the over, you know, like one an area versus the other, or do they cohabitate well? Or They actually, from what we see, they will cohabitate very well. It's just an opportunity sort of thing. If all your ducks are in a row in terms of water quality, in terms of food, I'm sure both can be there at the same time. I mean, some of your anglers might notice maybe bonefish are further out on the flats and the redfish are tucked into the mangroves a little bit more. It all really depends. Okay. Um, the other thing you have is the uh, genetics program for the bonefish and for the tarpon. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So the whole point of doing genetics on these things is getting an idea of how our populations are interacting with one another. And, you know, there's a lot of research that goes into how populations move. For example, we have a couple tarpon that have been satellite tagged that move throughout the Gulf of Mexico, come back to the Keys. We understand how far they can travel. What we want to understand is, is which fish populations are recruiting to certain spots in terms of their larvae. So if we can get genetic material on bonefish in the Keys and genetic material on bonefish from the Bahamas, from Cuba, from the Yucatan, we can understand are bonefish in the Yucatan supplying fish to the Keys. So it's all about larval transport, it's all about whose fish belong to who. And by doing that, we can get a better understanding of how to manage these fish. Because right now in Florida, for example, we're managing on, you know, our fish are Florida fish. 
but that might not be the case. Our fish might be coming from somewhere off of Louisiana. So it, it really all depends. We need to adjust, and that's the whole point of this sort of dynamic research moving along. We need to adjust for what we learn, and that's one of the coolest things about UCC is that through our research and through our, our member-driven population, we can act on the fly. So by acting on the fly, we can we can work with certain agencies, you know, like FWC, to manage the population and get it back to a healthy healthy number. So what can what can the kayak angling community do to help or you know provide information to BTT? So the coolest thing about my job, and I'm I'm the keys project manager, is I get these phone calls and emails all the time. Hey, I've seen this here, I've seen this there. I get emails all the time. I just saw three-inch baby bonefish. What does that mean? So any information like that is like it's gold to me because we can take anecdotes and turn it into science. So any little bit of information can come my way. I appreciate that. They can also, in a more active sort of way, do fin clips and do scale scale samples for us and then send them off and that's huge. So where, where can uh, people uh, get the uh, kits for the, the fin clips and the scales? Well, they can they can go online to the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust website and they can talk to Bob Okay. and he will send them off or, or you can go ahead and talk to me and that's Brooke and it's Brooke at BonefishTarponTrust.org. Alright, and that's the website as well, BonefishTarponTrust.org? BonefishTarponTrust.org or we have BTT.org if that's easier to remember. Alright, BTT.org it is. Yes. Okay. Uh, Brooke. Dan, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. All right, well, there we go. Bonefish Tarpon Trust. So, uh, Matt, Jim, I'm sure you guys are familiar with them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, uh, familiar from uh, the the ad that we run on Kayak Fishing Radio, and uh, I'm kind of familiar uh, with, with uh, what the organization does, although um, they don't have much impact up where I'm from. Um, I think they're doing a great job down there near you guys in Florida and, and the, uh, the the southeastern area. Well, obviously that's the range of the fish, right? So when you're looking at bonefish and tarpon, you know, it's it's predominantly down here, you know, Florida, the Gulf, uh, Bahamas, Belize, you know, some parts of Central America there. So that's, you know, their primary range. Um you know, just really good folks. I think they're doing a lot of stuff, you know, especially in these, these waterways, a lot of research down here. So, um, you know, glad I got a chance to, you know, get by and, and talk with them. So the genetics program, I think, interests me a lot. You know, you can just grab one of the, the scales. So, you know, if you are, you know, fishing in Texas or, you know, Louisiana, anywhere in the Gulf, Panhandle, you know, uh, around Florida, over in the Bahamas, you know, have a little kit with you, you know, you catch a tarpon, you know, snag a little scale, toss it a little thing, and it's already prepaid, mail it back to them. And they get to kind of track some of these fish, see where they're at, see where they're moving. I uh, always, always find it interesting to see how far some fish go or some fish don't. Like tarpon can travel where a lot of bonefish seem to be kind of stationary. They, you know, they get into an area and they like it and tend to stay there and breed in those populations. So, you know, yeah, I, I know uh, really they catch tarpon as far north as uh, Virginia Beach. So. Yeah, I think it's really important what they do, and I think I've heard a lot of people who have been in the Keys a lot longer. I've been down there several times fishing. Um, some of my friends who actually have houses in the Keys and been down there 30-plus years, 
there's been a lot of concern about water quality and that uh, the water quality on the west side of Key Largo um, is not what it should be and that they're, they're fearing that from Alamada North on that west side, the Gulf side, that there's a water quality issue. The bonefish are being pushed south or um, maybe not coming from the Bahamas back over. Uh, maybe they're in other locations. And that, the you know, I've had one gentleman who owns a fly fishing shop who, like I said, had a, has a house in the Keys, been going out there for 30 years plus, and said, you know, the, the water quality is so poor north of Marathon, he won't even fish in that area anymore. He's either fishing around Marathon or further south, uh, Pine Island, Key, no-name Key, places like that. Um, with that big oil spill and the amount of... Um, the uh, dispersion agent that they put on that oil slick and that Gulf Stream coming, running from the North Gulf down to the South and coming around the Keys and back up the East Coast, I don't think people have really thought about what that chemical has spread, what it has done. Um, But I've heard a number of people, Diane Diane Rudolph, a lot of people who grew up in the Keys or spent a lot of time in the Keys saying that they're very concerned about that Florida Bay water quality. Besides the you know, the nitrogen coming down through the Everglades and the Everglades not having as good water flow as it should. Um, well, I was going to say, we've got... Go ahead. Yeah, we've got, we got real water quality issues. I mean, and it's not just, you know, the stuff from the Gulf. Obviously, that was a pretty horrible, uh, you know, accident between the oil and, and all the chemicals and everything else you used to kind of combat that. And the fact that that's going to circulate around and it's going to end up down through the Keys, you know, like you said, that, that bay side. But, you know, there's been so much over-pollution through the central part of the state from Orlando south, you know, that whole river of grass, you know, the Everglades, it starts in Orlando, you know, and, and yep. waterways run down through Lake Okeechobee, collects and runs south, and there's so much farm and fertilizers and everything else that the water, the, the quality and, and the chemicals that are in it just, you know, run off. And it is pretty devastating to see, you know, when it's pumped out into the waterways, how, you know, even along the intercoastal here on the, on the you know, Atlantic side, quite a few of the main canals, big pump stations, you know, we get too much water, all the canals start filling up, you know, water management starts opening the gates and pumping you know, tens of thousands or, you know, millions of gallons of water out into the intercoastal waterway with all those chemicals and everything else, and it's just turned up and brown and devastated for, you know, quite a while after they do that. You know, one thing that always puzzled me, and I've fished a fair amount in South Florida concerning our live in Georgia, um, I was fishing with a guide on Lake Okeechobee, and he had some specific areas he liked to fish, and I fished with him a couple different years. And we couldn't fish one area, and I asked him why. He said, well, they came in, the Florida Water Management people came in and sprayed the aquatic vegetation because the aquatic vegetation was thought to consume water or inhibit the water. And I'm like, you know, aquatic vegetation is what filters and cleans your water unless you have zebra mussels. And the thought that they would divert water and not try to funnel it down to Lake Okeechobee that lake is huge. I mean, there's plenty of room for lots of water. And then to get it flowing through the river of grass, let all that aquatic vegetation clean that stuff up, you know, um, it just makes you think, you know, are you, does anyone actually think about this or is it just 
we've done it this way or we spent the money to do it this way and we don't care and we're just going to keep doing it versus getting the right money and getting something to improve that whole process. Because, you know, yeah, you're, it's bad. I'm, sorry, I'm sure you're talking about an EPA type of setup set there. Yeah, <laughs> EPA Corp. You know is Florida Water Florida water, water Management. So there's three agencies that would have to coordinate. But I know, I guess I heard, you know, a couple of years ago that Jeb Bush had started a huge um process of trying to restore the Everglades to its natural flow just to help combat some of these water quality issues. And it just seems like it'd be such a worthwhile thing to do. You'd think it'd get more traction. Well guys, this is this is a conversation that we can drag on. I'm looking at the uh, the climb and the, the you know the, the time here in the studio is telling we've got a couple minutes left before uh the show is coming to an end whether we want it to or not. So with that said I think I'll leave the the Bonefish Tarpon Trust topic and, and say, you know, please take a few moments, go check out their website, btt.org. Um, check them out, see what they do, order some genetics kits, and uh, send in some samples from either, you know, bonefish, tarpon, um, whatever you catch. So uh, that said, real quick, Jim, uh, plans this weekend, fishing? Uh, maybe. Let's see how the weather. It's supposed to rain. Okay. Matt? Uh, uh, rain. He'd be wet anyway. <laughs> I was going to say, rain. Uh, I'm yeah, planning on getting out at the work tomorrow. All right. All right. Offshore? Uh, croakers are in. going to go get them. They're, they're uh, on the bay side pretty much of uh, the spit we call Sandy Hook up here. So uh, I'm going to check them out tomorrow and then hopefully get out after some flounder and the same type of fish on Sunday. Um, Saturday is uh, hang out with the spouse day, so shall be good. Yeah. Well, uh, my fishing? only plans this week. Yeah, I'm gonna try to get out. I'm gonna try to do a little beach fishing on Saturday. Wife wants to go to the beach. We're gonna take some stuff. Probably do some fishing from the beach there out in the surf, and uh, maybe Sunday we'll see what uh, the plans hold. Might uh, get out on the kayak for a little while, so weather permitting, and uh, see how it goes. Well, Jim, Matt, thank you both for uh, for joining in this evening, and um, talk to you gentlemen next week. Yeah, excellent job on the show, Sean. Thanks for filling in. Yeah. Good job, man. Thanks, guys. Couldn't have done it without you. Appreciate it. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.